Hey, I'm Brian. I'm the minister at Harmony Christian Church. Thanks for clicking on this video and giving us a watch. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can go to harmonychurch.tv, and there you can read about us. You can also do online giving. You can do a one-time gift, or you can do a recurring giving. If you'd like to send us a gift, you can mail it to 7100 South Choctaw Road, Choctaw, Oklahoma, 73020. You can also give us a call at 405-391-7310. You can find us on Facebook at Choctaw HCC. Find out some things that are going on as well. Uh, anyway, I hope that this video is a blessing to you and whoever you might be watching it with, and God bless. One of the things that New Testament writers are attempting to tell us is they're trying to tell us what are the things that make a difference and what are the things that don't make any difference at all. Like, what are the differences that make a difference and what are the differences that don't make any difference at all? Like, what is that? You know, who's in and, and who's out? And sometimes that question centers on things like food. Sometimes it centers on race. Sometimes it centers on finances. Just who's in and who's out? What are the differences that make a difference? And what are the differences that don't make any difference at all? And that's a particularly difficult question for us to answer in our culture because our culture right now is really clued in on people being on this side or on this particular side you're either for this and against that or against that and for this on all just about like everything in our culture so in our culture right now if if you are really crystal clear about this issue or if you are telling me or if you are telling me that you have like this particular position that you have and that I need to agree with you on it or that maybe you have this particular position that you just arrived to like maybe just yesterday you decided like this is where I'm coming down on this particular issue or maybe you're just like espousing some things that maybe your parents said or maybe your grandparents said but the point is, is that we have to agree, apparently, on all of these little things. And if we agree with all of those things, well, then, well, then you're in. Then you're in. Truth be told, like deep down inside, we all believe that the world would be a better place if everybody just, well, agreed with me. I mean, I, I know, you know like we're not perfect and not everything we do is good and we might not even be saying that out loud, but let's be for real. Like, eh, we kind of do. I mean, if everybody would just, you know, vote the way I voted, if everybody would just be reasonable the way I'm reasonable, if everybody would just think the way I think, if everybody would behave the way I behaved, if everybody would just kind of do the things that I do, then it'd be better. If everybody would just sit down, open up the Bible, read the Bible, in such a way that you come to the same conclusions that I do, well, then we would all agree and everything would be great. Like, the world would be a better place if everybody would just agree with me. Like, that's the kind of world that we live in right now. Like, that's what's happening to us, like, right now. And the simple fact is this. We all know that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. In fact... Unity isn't that thing that's found when everybody agrees. Unity is what is found when there's disagreement. And that's what the New Testament writers want to talk about. What are the differences that make a difference? And what are the differences that don't make any difference at all? Like, just what is that? 
sociologists, people who like study human behavior, sociologists say that all of us, it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how old you are, that all of us are what they call cognitive misers. And basically what that means is, is whatever room or place we find ourselves in, we kind of scan that room looking around for whoever might kind of be like us because that makes it a whole lot easier. You know, it makes it easier to have a conversation, makes it easier to have a relationship, makes it easier to just kind of talk about stuff if the person you're talking to is kind of like us. And so we all do that. And it happens in churches. It happens in Sunday school classes. It happens at work. You, we find people that are kind of a lot like us, and we kind of hang out with them all the time. But that's just kind of how it works, Right? It's just kind of like what we do. But that creates a bigger problem. It creates a problem because we're trying to be followers of Christ. What we're trying to do is like follow through on this mission that Jesus has sent us out to do. We find ourselves in a culture where it's this or it's that and there's not a lot of room for really anything else. Who's in? Who's out? That's a pretty big question, and it's certainly a big question in the New Testament, and it was a question that was being wrestled with, like, in the very early formation of the church. Like, hey, there are these Gentiles over there, and they're not Jews, and they don't follow the rules the way I follow the rules. They eat food that they're not supposed to be eating, wear clothing they're not supposed to be wearing, hang out in places you shouldn't be hanging out. Like, those guys don't get to be Christians. Like, that's not how that works, Right? And so it created this issue. Who's in, who's out? What are the differences that make a difference? And what are the differences that don't make any difference at all? And we find this question come up in Acts chapter 15. Luke records for us this big meeting that happens in Acts 15. And in Acts 15, there's this big question of like, who's in and who's out? Do those Gentiles have to become Jews before they can become followers of Christ? So we pick up the story in Acts 15, starting in verse 1. It says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. So what's been going on is Paul and Barnabas has been going around and they've been sharing the good news with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are like coming to this story. Like they want to hear more about Jesus. They want to become Jesus followers. And as soon as Paul and Barnabas leave some little town and go over to some other little town, there's like these Christian Jews that kind of come behind them and are like, hey, uh, we know Paul and Barnabas are good guys, nice people, you know, love them. But they didn't tell you everything that you needed to know. What you really need to know is, here's all these rules from the first five books of the Old Testament. You need to know these rules, and you need to kind of like watch what you're eating, and you need to like, you know, watch your purity, and you need to watch out for this and that and the other. And by the way, guys, 
we need all the guys, all the men to, to line up uh, because right over here is the priest. He's been sharpening some stones all day and uh, he's got some little surgery that he needs to perform and then, then you are followers of Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas take issue with this and they decide, okay, let's have a meeting about it. Let's try to figure out like what's going on and then, you know, let, let, let's get an answer to this question. And on their way there, Paul and Barnabas uh, share about what's happening with the Gentile believers. They share about what's happening and people are glad. And why wouldn't you be? Like, why wouldn't you be happy to hear that Gentiles are coming to Christ? Like, what kind of a person would you be if you didn't find joy in that? If you didn't rejoice that somebody else had come to Christ? And the story continues. Verse 4, it says, When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And so there you have it. What, what some are saying is, is you can't be a Christian until you behave the way I behave. Until you think how I think. Until you vote how I vote. Until, until you are, well, like me. If you would just become more like me, if you would just do that, well, now you're in. Now you can join. Now you're like a part of the group. Now, now you can do that. If you would just be as conservative as I am, if you would just be as liberal as I am, if you would just be those things, well, then now you get to be in. And I guess it's really easy to kind of like roll our eyes at the Pharisees like, oh, there they go again. It's those Pharisee guys just messing everything up again. But you know what? Truth be told, if you've been a Christian for more than about five minutes, you've done this to somebody else. You've looked at them and evaluated pretty quickly. If they would just this or if they would just that, well, then they get to be in. Then they get to be a part of the crew. You know, there have always been people that think that they get to be the gatekeepers. That they're the ones that get to decide, like, who gets let in and who doesn't get let in. And oftentimes the requirements that they have for who they let in doesn't really have as much to do with Jesus as much as it does as long as you just meet their particular requirement. The story continues. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not say discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now that's really interesting coming from Peter. Like Peter, of all people, says this because Peter just learned this like five chapters ago. 
You maybe you remember the story like five chapters ago. Peter's kind of minding his own business, and the Holy Spirit, uh, God, begins to speak to him and says, "Hey, I want you to go speak to this guy by the name of Cornelius." Peter's like, "I'm a good Jewish guy. I'm not going to go talk to Cornelius. Cornelius is Gentile." We don't hang out together. That's not how this works. You might remember then he has this dream in which he sees uh, clean and unclean food. God tells him, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Peter ends up going to Cornelius' house, has this amazing experience, and repeats here in Acts 15 what he said just about five chapters ago, which is God is not discriminating between us and them. Like, I went to Cornelius' house, and he had... Uh, Peter says, he had the Holy Spirit. Like, I recognized that in him. Like, God was already kind of moving in his life, and I just recognized that. So God isn't discriminating between us and them, and if God's not discriminating between us and them, then why are we? Why are we doing that? And the sad thing is, is what Peter says for some people is like the worst news that they've ever heard. You mean God is working among those people? You know, it's interesting that Peter points out about the Holy Spirit. What if, this is just a what if, what if our litmus test for who's Christian was based more off of how the Holy Spirit is manifesting in their life? How in that person's life is are things like goodness and kindness and peace and self-control love why why aren't we looking for those things as signs of Christianity Peter does that's what Peter's looking for the verse 10 it says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Peter is saying, um, you've kind of turned this whole thing into an us versus them. But really what you're doing is you're burdening them. Like, let's don't forget our own story. Like, how many centuries can we go back to, like, all these rules that we were supposed to be following and nobody could really do it? And yet that's what you want to do to these Gentiles. You want to put all these rules and all these burdens down on them, knowing full well that nobody can really do it. And then he says, not only are you burdening them with something that we can't even do, he says, by doing that, you're testing God. You think that you have achieved some place where you're smarter than he is. You're testing him. And Peter says that's not a good thing. Verse 13, he says, When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his, for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins will be rebuilt, and I will restore it, that the rest of, of mankind may seek the Lord, even of all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. 
things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So basically, here's what James has got to say. He says two things. Number one, he says, don't do anything that you are intentionally offending somebody. Don't do that. And then the second thing he says is, is don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. Like, don't do that. And there's a lot of us Christians that kind of have a problem with that because there's a lot of us Christians that feel like being a Christian is like some kind of like, I don't know, it's like being a, an Olympic ice skater where we feel like somehow faith comes with some sort of points because of like the degree of difficulty or something. And that's not what James says here. What James says is, is we are going to make it easy for people to come to Jesus. We're not going to overburden them with that. We're going to make it easy for people to come. And then he drafts up a letter, sends it out, and when the people get it, they're happy about it. They rejoice at it. And what was resolved anyway? One thing got resolved. We are not going to make it difficult for people to come to Christ. That's all. We are not going to make it difficult for people to come to Jesus. The early church became happy. They got happy because they were on mission with God. And what was that mission? To include everybody. Include everybody in on this good news that Jesus is offering. God bless. This is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you know your, as yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. peace be with you.